Let's open our Bibles, please, to the book of Exodus, the seventh chapter. Exodus chapter seven might bring you up to date. In chapter one, we studied about Israel being in bondage. And then in chapter two, we studied about the birth of Moses, a deliverer for the nation of Israel from their Egyptian bondage. And then the call and commission of Moses and his credentials in chapter four. And in chapter 5 and 6, a conflict between Pharaoh and Moses as it begins. And the section we're in now is chapters 7 through 11. And in this section, chapters 7 through 11, we'll find 10 judgments upon uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And we'll find four compromises, four attempts for Pharaoh to try to compromise, make compromise with Moses and with the Lord, actually. And uh, those compromises are rejected because God is not in the compromising business. And so we find that this is the situation that we're facing tonight. We'll come into the section that has to do with these ten judgments. Uh, we gave you those judgments <clears throat> earlier. Turning water into blood. And there are frogs that come upon the land and lice and flies and murrain upon the cattle and boils upon man and beast, and hail was number seven, and locust number eight, darkness number nine, and uh, the tenth one is the death of the firstborn. And these ten judgments, by the way, you should memorize those, and uh, if someone wanted to make us some extra copies, uh, little sheets, I only had about five or six, but this particular sheet of paper that I gave you shows the ten judgments and the ten commandments and then fourteen materials of the tabernacle. And uh, some of you are real energetic and would like to take your copy and pass some more around later on. Well, that would be fine. <laughs> but anyway, we only had a few the first night that we started this. And uh, some of you have a copy and some of, them, some of you have looked on with others and etc. But anyway, they're a very important uh, uh, list of things that you have there. But in the seventh chapter... <clears throat> We're just kind of reading verse by verse and then giving you an overview. We're not stopping and teaching the whole thing as such, but trying to give you uh, the meat of the matter and the high points of the book of Exodus as well as we did in the book of Genesis. <clears throat> so in this book of Exodus, we're down now to the uh, seventh chapter and we just uh, read uh, when we quit uh, teaching the uh, seventh verse. Exodus chapter 7, verse 7, we read, Moses was fourscore years old, and Aaron fourscore, and three years old, when they spake unto Pharaoh. And this is where we stop. So we have two old men, brothers, Moses the leader, and Aaron the spokesman for him that God had appointed, uh, going against Pharaoh and all the Egyptians and all the power of Egypt. Now then, if you want to look at verse 8, we'll pick up there. Uh, Exodus 7, verse 8. And we read a great deal and then comment as we go along. <clears throat> and the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh shall speak unto you, saying, Show a miracle for you, then thou shalt say unto Aaron, Take thy rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and it shall become a serpent. <clears throat> and Moses and Aaron went in unto Pharaoh, and they did so as the Lord had commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers. Now the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. 
For they cast down every man his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. Now when this happened, this miracle of the rod becoming a serpent, it just shows the superiority of the Lord to all uh, attempts to try to foil him. Even the magicians and and uh, all of his uh, men could not uh, outdo what God was doing. In verse 13, And he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. You know, some people find it very difficult to accept the fact that God says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. It's not for us to wonder why God does things. It's that he does it. And it's his right to do it. And you know, Pharaoh hardened his own heart, if you'll remember. The Bible says Pharaoh hardened his heart. In fact, earlier, Pharaoh had said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? So he was rebellious, belligerent, didn't care about God, was an unbeliever, was not concerned about uh, anything but himself and, and the nation and his power. And so this kind of a man has to be dealt with with severity, and that should be reason enough that God would continue to deal with him in such a way. But some people find it not in uh, keeping with the love of God to harden someone's heart. And yet we're not to question that. God is love. The Bible says God is love. We don't question that either. And so in all that he does, he has a purpose, a reason, and a why for doing it. And it's not ours to understand the dealings of God with men. Sometimes it's beyond our comprehension. Sometimes we cannot understand it. We don't understand why some of these sudden tragedies happen, some of these deaths, some of these losses of life at early age. And, and there are many things and mysteries in, in this world that we are not intended to understand every detail of. But God understands it. Now then, let's look at this. <clears throat> it says uh, <clears throat> uh, down in verse... Uh, uh, 14, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Get thee unto Pharaoh in the, in the morning. Lo, he goeth out unto the water. You know, the Lord knew where, where he was going to be exactly when, uh, when uh, Moses was to go out and meet him. He says, he's going out to the water. And he'll be going out there in the morning. Well, it may have been his habit to do so, and it may have been an unusual thing. might have been just because God knew he was going to go out there. But regardless of what it is, God knew what, what to do. And he said, uh, And thou shalt stand by the river's brink against thee come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shall thou take in thine hand, and thou shalt say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews has sent me uh, unto thee, saying, Let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness, and behold, hitherto thou wouldest not hear. God gives Moses the message and says, Now heretofore, Pharaoh, you would not hear. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. By the way, this may be the reason. He wanted Pharaoh to know that he was the Lord. And so this was probably the underlying reason of all the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. Not only that he hardened his own heart, but that God hardened his heart because he was going to show him who God really was. And he says, Thus saith the Lord, In this uh, thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod that is... In mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, Moses is saying this, saying what God has told him to say, and they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. By the way, do you know all of these judgments are directed to the gods of uh, Pharaoh and the Egyptians? They worship the river Nile. 
God says, I'll, I'll turn that river that you so worship into blood. Instead of life-giving water, He'll turn it into that which represents death, blood. And, or can represent life if it's flowing properly. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But when blood is shed, what? It's death, right? So uh, He was showing Pharaoh a lot of things here by this uh, miracle. Uh, verse 18, The fish that is in the river shall die, and the river shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Say unto Aaron, Take thy rod, and stretch out thine hand upon the waters of Egypt, upon their streams, upon their rivers, and upon their ponds, and upon all their pools of water, that they may become blood, and that they may be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, both in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone, even their drinking water. You know, God is determined to get Pharaoh to release his children, the children of Israel. And because it was because of Pharaoh's rebellion and deliberate rejection of what God had said that these judgments were coming. In other words, he was fighting, literally fighting against God. And you know, if God enjoins the battle, all others are going to be on the losing side. It may take time and it may take uh, persistence, but all others will eventually lose. You have much of it in the book of Revelation where, the, where Satan has joined his battle against the Lord and finally, uh, you know, he's overcome, isn't he? In due time. And so verse uh, 20 now, And Moses and Aaron did so as the Lord commanded. By the way, I want you to notice that they did what God commanded. didn't make any difference to them uh, as to what they were told to do. They were to be obedient. And he lifted up the rod and smote the waters that were in the river in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And, and all the waters that were in the river were turned to blood. And the fish that was in the river died, and the river stank, and the Egyptians could not drink of the water of the river, and there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And the magicians of Egypt did so with their enchantments. Now, they're trying to prove their power. Look, they did the same thing with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened, neither did he hearken unto them as the Lord had said. We're going to see that the magicians try to uh, stem the tide and think that they can do everything that God's servants do. And for a time... And in some instances, they do. In fact, to their own destruction. They do. You know, if, if they were already plagued with the water turning into blood, it looks like the, the magicians would try to turn it back into water. Instead of trying to duplicate the evil side of it, it looks like they had tried to contradict it and counteract it. But all they were trying to do is prove that they were uh, uh, men of destruction and they could bring on just as much as God would judge them with. And so it, it's, it's senseless to do what evil men do. They just make bad matters worse sometimes. And we're going to see in, in a moment another thing in the next chapter. I'm anxious to get to it. We'll read on down. It says in verse... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, 23, And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, neither did he set his heart to this also. He paid no attention to it. He thought, well, this thing will pass. won't mount them very much. And all the Egyptians digged round about the river for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the river. And seven days were fulfilled after that the Lord had smitten the river. They had to go seven days without water. I mean everywhere. Now you might think, well, that's not so long to do without water if you have, yes, if. If you have some over here or some over there, or if there's a drought, then you have to be, be scarce with it or whatever. But when it's completely turned into blood, and for everything you eat, 
that has to require water for your drinking, for your bathing, for your all your human needs. Water is a very essential of life. And we have learned that as human beings. Oh, chapter 8 now. And the Lord spake unto Moses, He says, Go unto Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Look, John says, You go to Pharaoh with the message that I have. Moses was never to say anything of himself. He was to go with what God had told him to say. And it was always, thus saith the Lord, or God has said. And that's what we should do as preachers too, by the way, is give out the message of God. Thus saith the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. And it's the same claim, the same requirement, the same condition. And if thou refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all thy borders with frogs. Now, frogs were unclean animals. They had a frog goddess that they worshipped. H-E-K-A, Hekah. A frog goddess. You know, they had goddesses and gods of all of these various things that God judged. Can you imagine worshipping unclean, filthy, dirty frogs? And having a goddess after the idea of a frog? And yet, that's what they were doing. Their river... And the frogs in the river, and we'll get on to some of the other things in a minute. They worship the earth, the land. They had an earth god, and that's the next thing he smites, even in this eighth chapter. And it's called K-E-B. It has to do with the dust of the earth. And we'll go on down. Let's read this down. In verse uh, uh, 3, And the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly. Now look where they're going to be. This is a judgment of God. It says, uh, which shall go up and come into thine house. I wouldn't even want them in the house. But look, this is not all. It says, and into thy bedchamber. Do you want them in your bedrooms? And upon thy bed. How would you like to go to bed with a bunch of frogs? Now look, and that's not all. And into the house of thy servants and upon thy people and into thine ovens where they made their bread, and into thy kneading troughs, dough troughs, where they kneaded the bread. You start kneading the bread, and you come across two or three frogs to put in there with it. doesn't sound very appetizing, does it? When you start rolling the dough, you don't want a bunch of frogs crawling around in it. And that's what the plague was. They couldn't get rid of them. There's so many of them, they was everywhere. Now look. And the frogs shall come up both on thee and upon thy people and upon all thy servants. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying to Aaron, Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod. Now he warned Pharaoh. Uh, and then he says, Stretch forth. Here's the doing of the, of, the, of the miracle and the judgment. Stretch forth thine hand with thy rod over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up upon the land of Egypt. And Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians, this has always baffled me. Look at verse 7. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. You would think, as we said a moment ago, instead of multiplying the judgment just to prove that they could duplicate what God was doing, you know the devil can duplicate miracles. If God can do a miracle, the devil can duplicate it to a certain point in time. And in fact, the next one that comes up, they couldn't do it. And we'll show why. In this same chapter, they try to duplicate the next miracle, uh, judgment that comes, but they can't do it. 
Because there's a limit to Satan's power and God is all-powerful. Now, follow this on down. In verse 7, And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs upon the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may do sacrifice unto the Lord. Now, this is just an attempt to get rid of the uh, consequences of his rebellion. This is just an attempt for him to get the plague, the judgment of the frogs removed. He's not really sincere about it. We'll see that later on as we progress. He wants them out of there, all right. But he doesn't want to repent and turn to God and believe in God. Now then, verse 9. And Moses said unto Pharaoh, Glory over me. He really says, Have this honor over me. When shall I entreat for thee and for thy servants and for thy people to destroy the frogs from thee and thy house, houses that they may remain only in the river? He says, When do you want this done? Now look. And he said, Tomorrow. Can you imagine? If, if there were frogs in my bed, and in the kneading troughs where it's making bread, and in the houses, I wouldn't say tomorrow. I'd say, Moses, right now, quickly, hurry, get them out of here. Wouldn't you? You know why? I have a sermon, One More Night with the Frogs. One More Night with the Frogs. And what it's all about is people just want to hang on to their rebellion and their sin one more night. Just, well, yeah, I'm going to do that, you know. But just put it off till tomorrow. Just wait a while. After all, I can't give this up, but I intend to. I've got plans for the future of giving this sin up. You know, everybody says, yes, I, yeah, I'm going to straighten my life out, but wait till tomorrow. It's kind of like ladies going on diets, isn't it? I better not mention that. We say, you know, I'm going to go ahead and eat this today. Tomorrow it's going to be different. I've said that myself. So, <laughs> But anyway, you see what I'm talking about. Uh, we always, uh, men always want to procrastinate and put off another day and another time that which is essential and necessary for what? Right now. You know, the Bible says now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation, right? And you find people, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to take care of that before I die. I'm going to take care of that down the road. But he said, tomorrow. And he said, be it according to thy word. Look, verse 10. That thou mayest know that there is none like unto the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants and from thy people. And they shall remain in the river only. That's where they're supposed to be. And Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh. And Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And the frogs died out of the houses and out of the villages and out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Look at that. You see, he doesn't want to suffer the consequences of this thing being removed. He says, get them out of here, but don't... don't how, what, what, were, what was Moses going to do with them? Carry them all back to the rivers? Or... Uh, let them take wings and fly away to all the ponds and distribute them back over the land. They were everywhere. And God smote them with death. The, the frogs died, the Bible says. They'd been out of the water, away from anything. And the frogs died. In other words, he saw that there was respite. A lot of people say, get away, get, 
get this plague or this judgment or this sin or this thing away from me, but I don't want to pay any of the consequences. Can't do that. We're responsible creatures. Everything we do has a price tag of good or bad. Everything we do. And we have to learn to accept the payment. You know, when I talk about David of old, uh, David, a man after God's own heart, if you'll remember that when he sinned, at the time that the kings went forth to battle, the Bible says David tarried still at Jerusalem. All in the world is wrong as David to start with. He became a little lazy, a little complacent, didn't he? And he just tarried. The kings were out there on the battlefield. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. And he arose in the middle of the night. He became restless. He knew what he ought to be doing. And he looked and he saw a woman bathing. He took her and committed adultery. A child was born. Before that child was born, he tried to get the, the husband of this woman killed. And he did. He tried to make him drunk. And he wouldn't get drunk. Tried to get him killed. And he accomplished that. And... Uh, and then uh, the baby was born and died. But when David was brought to life, an old Nathan the prophet told him what happened in the parable of the ewe lamb. If you remember the parable of the ewe lamb, he says, you've gone and taken another man's wife, and now you had all this blessing and glory of your own, and you've robbed another man of his wife, of his, his uh, uh, comfort and love, peace and joys and blessings. And he says, now, the sword shall never depart from your house, old Nathan the prophet said. And the Bible teaches that it never did. David confessed his sin. He says, yes, I've sinned against God. God took the child. Right? You'd think that'd be sufficient payment. But Nathan said, the sword shall never depart from your house. And there was, there was all these things that happened in his own house. One of his sons committed illicit sexual relationships with his sister and another son fought against that son one killed the other Absalom killed Ammon Absalom turned and tried to take the kingdom away from even David and then Absalom was killed hung in the forks of a great oak tree by his neck and he was killed as he tried to rend the kingdom from David and you know the story David said, Oh, my son, my son Absalom. And that victory, they, di they didn't take the kingdom away from David, but that victory for David that day was defeat because it was a sword against his house. And in all the things that were happening, even though he didn't lose that particular battle or the kingdom, he lost because his son was killed. And he dearly loved Absalom. So you see, there's no end to the consequences. Now, old uh, Pharaoh here, he was wanting, he was wanting this plague removed, these frogs removed without any respite, without anything, without any trouble, without any problem. But it's not that easy sometimes to deal with sin. And his sin was bringing further consequences. Now let's go on down to verse 16. And the Lord said unto Moses, saying there, And stretch out thy rod, and smite the dust of the land, that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now they worshipped the earth. They had an earth god. His name was K-E-B, Kev. Their earth god. So God says, smite the dust of the earth. See the river? And the frogs out of the river? They're goddesses. And then the earth? And he says, smite the dust of the earth that it may become what? Lice throughout all the land of Egypt. 
And they did so, for Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and smote the dust of the earth, and it became lice in man and in beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now look, in verse 18. And the magicians did so with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. Look at that. So there were lice upon man and upon beast. Here's one judgment they tried to duplicate and they could not. I wonder why. Because this was creating life. This was creating life. The dust was turning into to, uh, life. Into lice. And therefore life was created. You know, man's tried every way to create life. And he can't do it. You say, oh, they do this and they do that and the other. But that that germ, that seed, that miracle of life is within what man has to take into consideration to even begin to do anything with it. It comes from God and God alone. God gives life, not man. And they tried to do it and they could not. Now let's go on and find out. In verse 19, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, Now look, verse 19, Then the magician said unto Pharaoh, This is the finger of God. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had said. Now this time, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He's becoming more obstinate all the time. He's becoming harder all the time. Verse 20, And the Lord said unto uh, Moses, Rise up early in the morning. These One judgment after another. What's the first one? Turning water into blood. The next one? Frogs. All throughout the land, lice upon man and beast. Now then, verse 20. Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go that they may serve me. You know I like God's message. It's consistent, isn't it? He's still telling Pharaoh the same thing. He says, Let my people go that they may serve me. See, God's message doesn't change every time you turn around. God's message is eternal and it's the same. His message of salvation is eternal. His, his plan is by grace through faith. And when we get in the New Testament, we find the essence and the, and the merit is all due to the, uh, to, to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and His shed blood. And it all rests upon Him and faith in Him. But right here in the Old Testament, dealing with the nation of Israel, now what does He say? In verse 21, Else if thou wilt not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies upon thee and upon thy servants and upon thy people and in thy houses and the houses of the Egyptians shall be full of uh, swarms of flies and also the ground whereon they are. And look at verse 22. And I will server in that day the land of Goshen in which my people dwell that no swarms of flies shall be there to the end that thou may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth and I will put a division between my people and thy people tomorrow shall this sign be. He says, now this time all of the, the only one that's going to be affected is Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And he says, I'm going to show you my protection of my people. And there will be no swarms of flies upon them. And neither in the land of Goshen where they dwell. Remember when Joseph went down into Egypt? Joseph. And he brought his father down into Egypt later. That the good Pharaoh or the good king of that day gave uh, Israel the land of Goshen to dwell in. Right? And that's where they were dwelling. And so now... 
God says, I'm going to show you that I'm going to separate that land. And I'm going to protect my people. And there'll be no flies. Now look at this. In verse uh, 24, And the Lord did so, and there came a grievous swarm of flies into the house of Pharaoh, and into his servants' house, and into all the land of Egypt. The land was corrupted by reason of the swarms of flies. You know, Pharaoh's beginning to get the message. Here's four judgments. Turn your water into blood. Bring frogs all, all up over the land. In your bedchambers, in your kneading troughs, and in your houses. Have to live with them. And then lice upon man and, and beast throughout the land of Egypt. And then what? Flies all over, biting, stinging flies. Swarms of flies, it says. So God has a way of getting man's attention. He can get it sooner or later. And you know, if we won't listen to Him in grace, we certainly have to face Him in judgment. The Bible says if judgment begin first at the house of God, then where shall the ungodly and sinner appear? And we're going to find that you and I as Christians at least ought to uh, respond to God's chastening hand. Now I want you to notice verse 25 and 26. We have the first one of the compromises. Now, he's had four judgments that have come upon him. But now what happens? Pharaoh decides, well, maybe I can compromise with the Lord. Maybe uh, Moses. Maybe we can just make a compromise. Look at verse 25 and 26. And Pharaoh called for Moses and for Aaron and said, Go ye, sacrifice to your God. Now look, in the land. That's not what Moses had said. See that verse 25? In the land. Moses says, let's go three days' journey into what? The wilderness that we may sacrifice. But uh, what he's saying is stay here close by. Stay in the land. And Moses said, it is not meet. Uh, uh, so to do, for we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. Lo, we shall sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, and they and will they not stone us? What do you mean, sacrifice the abomination of the Egyptians? We'll get into later on where upon the cattle, they worshipped the cattle. They had a cattle god, Apis, a bull. And we'll discuss that when we get in the ninth chapter. But right now, See, this would be an abomination for them to sacrifice the sacrifices that Israel was to sacrifice. And the sheep and all these various things. A lamb for sacrifice. A blood sacrifice. Of various animals that they held sacred. And so, uh, Moses says we can't do that. We can't, we can't worship God in the land. Egypt is a picture of the world. It's like the Christian... Suppose I were to say to y'all tonight, let's go up here in the middle of town and let's go into one of the social gatherings. If they're having a square dance or they're having a street dance or they're having a party up here in one of these buildings, let's go up there and we'll go there and worship the Lord. You say, well, preacher, you're nuts. And I probably would be if I told you that. Because you can't do that. God doesn't want you to worship Him in the midst of the world. Now then, it doesn't mean that you cannot have your heart right in the world. You can go out in the midst of the world. You can have your heart right, but you're, you're a sanctified person. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And you can't uh, partake of that kind of a going on and expect God to put His blessings upon it and to have fellowship with all the people that are doing all kinds of e evil things, drinking and gambling and carousing and all kinds of things that they should not be doing. And then uh, you find that when you do those things, that's not worshiping God. 
Well, you'd say, well, preacher, you don't know. So, what Moses, what Pharaoh was proposing to Moses, he says, be religious, but be religious in the world. We want you to have a worldly religion. That's what the devil wants, is us to have a worldly religion. No, the devil doesn't mind if you're real religious. But he wants it to be a worldly religion. There's no true worship for the child of God in the world. And no compromise is allowed. No compromise for the child of God is allowed in morals. It's not allowed in worship. We cannot uh, associate with those that commit idolatry or various other things that are considered as far as the world is concerned. All right. Must have scriptural proof. Religious compromise is what the devil wants. In other words, a get-together religion. No difference between us and all the world in the religious world. No difference. And that's what Pharaoh was proposing. Stay right here in the land. Stay in the land. Look at the next one. You have another uh, compromise. in verse. Let's go ahead and read verse 27. We get to 28. We have another compromise. It says, we will go three days' journey. This is Moses' answer to Pharaoh. We will go three days' journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as He shall command us. We're not going to stay here in the land. We're going to go, what God said was three days' journey. You see, if we're going to worship God, we have to do it on His terms, on His conditions. The three may represent, well represent death, burial, and resurrection on the basis of Christ. You know, three in the Bible a lot of times stands for those three things. Or uh, we worship through the divine trinity, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We can't compromise worship. And then verse 28, Pharaoh makes another uh, compromise. And Pharaoh said, I will let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. You can, I'll even let you go into the wilderness. You don't have to stay in the land. But then he says, only you shall not go very far away. You've got to stay real close. Entreat the Lord for me. This is his second attempt. He was stay, saying, stay near the land. First of all, he says, stay in the land. That was not acceptable. Then Pharaoh says, stay near the land. Just stay close to the, to the world. If not in Egypt, then near Egypt. So that he could bring them back into it. Do not take your religion too seriously is what it means. Just stay near the world. If Egypt is a picture of the world, just stay pretty close to it. Don't take it too seriously. Don't be a religious fanatic. Don't go all out. Don't say you believe the Bible and everything it says and you want to try to live for God and what God tells you to do. And people say, well, I don't know. The Bible sounds like just some parts of history and it was written by these men and they don't give it the inspiration that is due and they don't see, see it as to what it is. That's staying near the land. That's staying close by, but not really in, 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 uh, in Egypt, but you're trying to stay close to it. You're trying, trying to compromise with Satan. And Moses said, Behold, I go out from thee, and I will entreat the Lord that the swarm of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servant, and from his people to tomorrow. But let not Pharaoh deal deceitfully any more in not letting the people go and to sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And he removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people. There remained not one. Now look, when the flies were gone and Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. 
neither would he let the people go. You see, he was a liar, wasn't he? He wasn't even going to let them go, not only worship God not in the land, but even go and stay near the land. So it was an, an attempt to compromise and insincere. In the New Testament, we find that the Bible speaks of the last times that people will be covenant breakers or truce breakers. No, I like for people to keep their word. I think that it's one of the best traits, it's one of the most wonderful uh, characteristics of an individual that I've ever seen, is to keep his word. Used to be we'd say, a man's word is is his bond. And the old timers, when they gave you your word and they shook hands on it, it was that way. If they couldn't pay up, they'd show up. If something happened that it was altogether impossible for them to do what they said they'd do, they'd be there and tell why. So I just can't do what I, I promised to do certain things and I'm not physically, financially, or, or whatever may be the uh, cause of not being able to keep it. But I think we ought to be men of our word. I think Christians ought to be certainly men of their word, men and women, boys and girls. And what we say we do, we ought to do. Or at least die trying. And it says uh, here, Pharaoh hardened his heart, verse 32. Uh, at this time also, neither would he let the people go. Now, let me give you this one. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then the Lord said unto Moses, it's not very long now, we'll take this up. Then the Lord said unto Moses, Go in unto Pharaoh and tell him, Thus said the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go that they may serve me. The message is not changed. The demand is not changed. God has not accepted any compromise. Now look, verse 2. For if thou refuse to let them go and wilt hold them still... Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine, and the Lord shall serve between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. God is still going to make a difference between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. Now look. And he says, And there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. Look at that. There will nothing die of all the children of Israel. You know, uh, this was another judgment upon their main god was a bull called Apis, A-P-I-S. And this is God's judgment upon the cattle of Egypt. And, uh, you know, Apis lived under, they tell us that Apis lived under the sound of Egyptian music. He was pampered and petted and groomed. He was buried with great honors and great lamentation. Even Apis did not escape the judgment of God. So you find all these things happening. And God is what? He's really judging every God of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. Everyone they have is being judged in all this that goes on. In verse uh, 5, says, And the Lord appointed a set time... Uh, saying, tomorrow the Lord shall do this thing in the land. God says, this is when it's going to happen. In other words, it looks to me like that God is giving Pharaoh time to to reason. You know, by this time he should have had enough. By this time he should have uh, begun to take God seriously. You know, sometimes we just do not listen. And Pharaoh evidently wasn't listening. He wasn't listening to God. 
And God was speaking in pretty harsh terms, wasn't He? Everything He was doing was saying, Look, Pharaoh, I'm trying to get your attention. And you're looking the other way. You're not paying any attention to me. And He says, Tomorrow... The Lord shall do this thing in the land. He says, here's time for repentance. Here's time to make it right. And the Lord did that thing on the morrow. God keeps His word too, doesn't He? And all the cattle of Egypt died, but of the cattle of the children of Israel died not one in Pharaoh's sin. And behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites uh, dead. He wanted to go and find out if God could do and sever between the cattle. You see, God can sever between people. God can sever between cattle. God can sever between land something. God can sever between crops of one man and the crops of another man. On one side of the fence you can have a wheat crop that's growing and full grown and beautiful. On the other side of the fence it'll be blasted. Say, how can God draw the line? You know, we we drive up this street. We see it every day during this uh, monsoon season. We drive up the street and you'll see the rain has come this far and it looks like you draw the line across the road and dry as a bone from there on. It doesn't mean that God is making a distinction in that way to uh, have one part of this town do without water, but if he so desired, he could do that. I'm not saying that he's doing that for that purpose. It's just that we're in that kind of season, but God can sever between any way he wants to. And it all comes from him. And and Pharaoh uh, went out to see And he couldn't find one of the Israelites' uh, cattle dead. And in verse 7, it says, And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. And the Lord said unto Moses and to Aaron, Take to you a handful of ashes, look, of the furnace, and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. These ashes, you know, they worshiped the human body. And he was going to let these ashes bring forth... uh, Balls breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. The Egyptians worshipped the body as well. We have people that worship the human body today. We should be thankful for the marvelous way that it's made and for the blessings of it and for the healings of it. But we don't worship it. Because sooner or later it's going to happen like our brother knows today happened to various ones. Good friend of ours. And you know, we're all going to face it one day. We went to the doctor today and he says, we're all going to come there for a checkup. Fine. Turned out fine. I'm thankful to the Lord for health. The health He's given me. And we don't know when God's going to call us out. So we certainly don't want to worship something that's not going to be with us very long. A corruptible body. So, and that which is going to finally meet its uh, destiny. But God has given us an eternal spirit and life. And that we ought to worship God who has given us life and look to Him. And see, they worship the body. In verse 9, And it shall become small dust. Look, in all the land of Egypt it shall be a ball breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast throughout all the land of Egypt. And they took ashes of the furnace and stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up toward heaven. And it became a ball breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the balls. For the ball was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. Now look at that. Now at this time, they were ready to back off, weren't they? The magicians were. They could not stand. Now if they could not heal themselves or even stand the pressures from God, certainly they didn't have the answer for Pharaoh and the Egyptians. 
These magicians didn't have the answer, did they? Now let's go on down. Uh, in verse 12, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them, as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning, and stand before Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart, and upon thy servants, and upon thy people, that thou mayest know that there is none like me in all the earth. For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. God says, I'm going to cut you off. This is his judgment against all the air gods. The hail and stuff is going to come and fire out of heaven. Fire and hail. And all of this is going to come from God. You know, they had the air gods and they called them ISIS, ISIS. And they worshipped. And so we find that in this uh, verse uh, 17, uh, it says, as, thou, as yet thou exaltest thyself against my people, thou wilt not let them go. Behold, tomorrow about this time. And God, notice when he says tomorrow, he's giving them time to repent. Isn't it? And they're not taking advantage of it. He says, Behold, tomorrow about this time I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field, for uh, far upon every man and upon for upon every man upon and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them and they shall die. 